Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility. And through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. Today, I'm sweating it out with Chef Cynthia Louise. Chef Cynthia Louise is the best-selling author of seven recipe books, including three books with biochemist Dr. Livy Weaver, and is the star on two cooking shows on Gaia TV and FM TV. You may also know her through her work with health guru Tyler Tolman, that is fasting and health retreats held in Bali. In this podcast, we talk about whole foods and what a whole food actually is. We discuss work ethic around business success, dealing with past traumas during water fasting, how energy affects fermented foods and much more. This podcast was great fun to record. We laughed a lot and I hope you do too. Also, the language in this podcast can be quite explicit. And so I give you Chef Cynthia Louise. Chef Cynthia Louise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. All the way from Queensland to Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from one sunny place to another sunny place. I like it. <laughs> Though we say that we're both currently sitting indoors. <laughs> My window's open. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's kick off. You do so much amazing stuff with whole foods, plant-based nutrition, which I'm super excited about. And I've made a number of your recipes, by the way. And it's every time it's just like, how is this even possible? This just tastes so good. I don't know. So we'll get there. But what I want, what I wanted to start with was what actually is a whole food? And I know that might sound a bit kind of silly, but I think sometimes people might misinterpret whole food plant-based, you know, and I've seen some recipes that say they're whole food plant-based and it's like, I don't know, that looks pretty processed and ruined to me. (laughs) So, how do you actually define that? It's such an interesting term. So, I'll just define it very quickly, but I'll give you a little backstory as well. Please. A whole whole food is something in its whole form as close to nature intended it to be. That's it. That's what a whole food is. It's not something that that is pressed to extract something out of. So olive, olive oil, that's not a whole food. That's the answer to that. But for me, it's so funny. Um, I'd always referred myself as someone that used whole food, a whole food chef, someone that had started in health retreats where the processing was done by us chefs, except for the vinegars and the oils um, and maybe some flowers. And we basically processed and made everything. And to me, that was a whole food kitchen. And then as time grew on, we got out of the early 2000s and into the teens of the 2000s. And then I suddenly got hit actually really hard in 2016 and 17 and 18 and 19 and still to this day. You're not a whole food chef. You use oil. And so, <laughs> and so what's happened is that we're, for me in this industry is such a long time and have gone through so many different trends. This is just another outcome where people are pointing the finger <clears throat> once again at real ingredients that are minimally processed olive olive oil, um, sunflower, sunflower butter, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> and have just taken it to an extreme pointing finger thing. And it's something that I just don't get involved in, actually. I have no food fight at all. But I will say, sorry, and I will say that <clears throat> real food as close to nature intended to be with low human appearance is where we should all shine from from a human being because that's exactly who we are. We are a natural source um, of intelligence and so is real food 
as close to nature, meaning the soils are in appropriate condition by the farmer who's dedicated his life to cover the earth's skin with vibrant microbes and, you know, incredibleness and then our water and that's how it starts and then it goes on to the supermarket shelf and what's the minimal packaging of that? You know, a whole foodist would say, you know, almond butter is not a raw food. It's like almonds blended. Like, come on. And it, it's, it's got a little bit noisy out there in the world, but I, I, I sit very clearly and, and hold people and raise people up very gently and, and direct them in the way that, that let's just take the names away for a minute and let's just go back to what we can um, inspire ourselves to educate ourselves to transform ourselves into something that we're a part of, which is nature. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. There's so much dogma in the health community around like, <clears throat> yeah, like w- what is something and people are always pointing fingers and even in the raw community, it's like, oh, well, that's like, that, is that like fruitarian or is that raw this or is that whole foods that it's like, okay, well, let's just park all that. And let's just say, let's try and get the food as close to nature intended as possible and um, the more of the food like that that we eat, the more vibrant and the better we're going to feel, right? I, could, I feel pretty vibrant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just got up an hour ago and I'm pretty like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I, I know what you're saying about the raw foodist movement too. It's like, oh, is that under 42 degrees, you know, because <laughs> if it isn't, it's not raw. It's like, oh, my God, like it's such a gift to be able to make a decision to eat. To, to, sorry, it's not just a gift. It's a human right food. It's not a privilege. And to actually go raw is is for the world out there that look down and pick on things as that's a privilege and you, and, and that's not raw. And then you've got people like me going, wow, how blessed and lucky and really wonderful it is to be able to have a choice. That's enough. That, that some people in the world actually don't have that choice to flick over a diet or flick over a trend or flick over a movement. They just don't have a choice because they don't have the development of a develop, you know, of a first world country. And so for me, it's like when I hear someone that's raw or water fasting or or eating McDonald's or not eating McDonald's or being a vegetarian or a vegan or a keto, I don't care. I'm just like, isn't it amazing that we get to eat, you know? Mm. Yeah, spot on. I mean, to be able to just the other day, we we saw someone online from on Instagram, this raw lady, she'd made this delicious simple spread that went on top of her salad. And I said to Kristen, I was like, let's make that. And we drove down to the shop and we bought what we needed and we drove back. And there were a couple, like I think there was some tahini in it and a couple other things. And we drove back and we made it for dinner that night. I was like, how incredible is the world that we're in that I can see this thing from America. I can drive to the shop, get these really ambiguous things, come home, make it and eat it and enjoy it. (laughs) What a treat. Bravo to the magical life that one has. Like really, it's so magical, isn't it? And for someone to put that down or to pick on you or to say, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're this at the moment. Uh, it's like, I just stay away. I don't even attract that attention. Like in the sense of my, I don't even tell people what I eat actually at all, ever in any of my shows or anything. It's like, I just, I mean, I hate kale. I just hate it, but I love cooking it in olive oil and ginger and garlic and onions and oh my God, and have it with baked beans on toast in the morning, whatever, but I don't want to smoothie it because it's just gross. But that's me, right? And I've been like smashed around, you know, the online world because I'm, I should be this skinny, you know, wrinkle-free 50-year-old and I'm not. I'm dying and I'm trying to live this life in the best possible like way with my joints and with my body and with my mind and and if it takes me to elevate into a different space whether it's fasting or you know less eating that's I'm just so lucky you know so funny Mm. I love that it's perspective isn't it Mm. yeah um how did you get into the space of of cooking in the first place and 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 focusing on the things that you do now with whole foods and plant-based and how did that journey kick off for you yeah I was always that friend you know like you had that friend Cynthia and she was always having a dinner party or 
you know, oh, we're going to Cynthia's, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you know that, that one friend that cooks, <laughs> that you know that you can go over there and you'll have a really great, you know, really great meal that just makes you feel good afterwards, you know, food that makes you feel good. I was always that, <clears throat> that friend to my girlfriends and to my boyfriends. I was just that person and to my family as well. And so, you know, my story is quite incredible um, because I was, I was always a business owner, especially in fashion. I love fashion and I loved being a part of, I loved making money, to be honest, and, and fashion was just a really great outlet and it wasn't until years later I had dress shops and then this is, you know, early 90, uh, late 90s and early 2000s and then I had this opportunity to be a part of a food court, which I knew nothing about, but I knew how to, I knew about food, like I just knew how to handle food, pick food, store food, cook food, eat food. I just had that vibe and being in this, you know, typical food court was, a, was the most amazing experiences of my life actually, seven outlets and all these different outlets and <clears throat> I learned so much and then I had a fish and chip shop which was amazing in um, Tasmania and I learned so much from that. I learned like you don't just buy the mayonnaise, let's make the mayonnaise. You don't just buy the breadcrumbs, let's make the breadcrumbs. And where do we get the bread from? And everybody throws out stale bread, like all the bakeries do. It's like, okay, which is the best bakery that has the sourdough? Like, <laughs> which is the best fish to have? And why would you even sell fish? And should I even sell fish? And how do I store fish? And it was just like this whole thing. It was in Tasmania. And then <clears throat> the um, weather got really cold. It was on the beach and nobody was eating fish and chips on the beach at that time. So... I should have, if I had half a brain, I would have opened a soup kitchen for anyone, but I didn't. But I came home and I was in this little bit of a position, you know, I was 34 years old and 33 or 34, and me and my son kind of packed up the car and I think he was like 9 or 10 or 11 at the time when we went home. And I was just in a position, I was like, what do I do? I don't have my dress shops anymore. I feel like I've failed, you know, and I really did. I really felt like that business said that I had to close those doors in Tasmania and I felt like a failure, but... Looking back now, it <clears throat> wasn't a failure at all, but in that presence it was. And my family and my friends said, you should become a chef. And I'm like, <clears throat> uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go to school, remember? I don't have the year 10 paperwork or the year 8 paperwork. I don't have any of that. And, um, you know, I was just really encouraged by it. And I looked around and that's really how it started. And, you know, I had grown up in Papua New Guinea and I came to Australia um, really late teen years, like, you know, bordering on 20. And I just remember um, feeling how would I get a job and what would that be like? And I went for lots of interviews and they just were not me. I couldn't, I couldn't, get, I couldn't get excited about all the canned and bottled items in the kitchen. It freaked me out. I didn't know what they were. And so that's really how it started. And then I got a job in health retreat. And I did my apprentice at 34 years old, owning businesses before that and working for six bucks an hour. And it was pretty much the most highlight of my life when it should be the lowest point. It, it was in a way of, of, of don't treat me like an apprentice. I'm actually a grown adult with a child that's run businesses. So come on, let, let, let's go here, people. Let's, let's not go by the rules. Let's, let's go by the human's in, in, in intention. And that was probably the most difficult part was to <clears throat> do an apprenticeship at 34 and sit in a classroom with 17-year-olds that could spell, read and write. <laughs> I'm just fascinated though by <clears throat> your mindset around that because it really is just, it's just perspective, right? And you made it work obviously <laughs> because of where, where you're at now. Um, so often in life when these things aren't going well for us, we oh, life sucks, you know, it's not really, it's not, it's not going well. Um, but out of that comes the most amazing things, you know, flourishes, um, in your case, a, an incredible business, multiple businesses um, and a beautiful life. Have you, like, were, you, were your parents business owners as well? How did you get into business ownership in the first place? Yeah, my parents are the original entrepreneurs, you know, my mum's nearly turning 90 and she grew up in Papua New Guinea and my dad went there because he was too young to go to war and he was 17-year-old panel beater apprentice and from there they had multiple businesses. They, um, I, I was in a family where we worked, we didn't dream, 
and if you were going to dream, you were going to action it. <laughs> and that's how I grew up. I grew up in the, the, I call it the original entrepreneur mindset where we could, we can have, my father had a franchise, um, Volvo franchise for marine boats um, and, and he had, then he worked out that he needed a, you know, a fishing tackle shop because everybody that had boats went fishing. And then he worked out he needed a panel beating shop because everybody needed some panel beating. And then he worked out he needed a fiberglass shop because everybody had holes in their boats and it's fiberglass and up. And then he worked out he needed a, um, a support and, and then he worked out and it was just this radiated business because the cars that carried the boat needed new radiators. And yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah, it's really, when I think about it, my parents are the original kind of heads the, the word entrepreneur, but they worked. And so we, we were brought up, uh, my brother and I, to work and to be super clear um, of our execution and outcome and not to just be frugal. And, and <clears throat> you know, my parents brought us up never to have any debt, no credit cards, always no credit cards. And that's how I've been raised. So that really came out of that, you know, it really did and not going to school um, like all the other little girls with pigtails, <laughs> um, I, you know, was sticking stamps on envelopes or, you know, dusting shelves or doing the best I, you know, I could at that age to, you know, have the units of time in the day be spent productively, but it was mostly working. Mm. Or being naughty. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine you um, causing a bit of a stir back in the day. <clears throat> Yeah, I uh, I love that. I too come from a similar ilk. My dad was a uh, he was not perhaps as classic entrepreneur as your dad sounded, but he was always running businesses. And there was one foundational element to what he did, no matter what he did, and that was he worked freaking hard, <laughs> right? And he knew what he wanted, and he was focused on it, and he worked himself into the ground in the end, which also isn't the best thing. But there's that work ethic. Um, yeah. And so often I say to people, like, sometimes you just got to freaking work hard. <laughs> like, you know, you got to put the hours in, you got to put the time in uh, if you want to create something amazing in this life, you know? Yeah, 100%. Do you, put, uh, do you put a lot of that energy into when you're like grinding down some cabbage into tiny pieces for sauerkraut? Is there a bit of that hard work going in there? Uh, look, you know, I'm a worker. I'm not an entrepreneur, even though one would say, I mean, I teach at the Entrepreneurs Institute about being in business, but it's, I'm, I'm a doer. I'm a natural, because also I'm dyslexic. So dyslexics have a 360 view of a, I can walk into a kitchen. This is dyslexic gifts. This is why most chefs are dyslexic. Well, not most, but yeah, we are. We're the ones that didn't go to school. And anyway, whatever. It's my general opinion. I can walk into a kitchen and I can scan the kitchen and I can see the kitchen hand. I can see, I can hear a blunt knife. I can see that's not in the right place. I think that's just about to burn. What's he doing? What's she doing? And we just have this way of being super super, you know, due diligent on what's going on. Now, when it comes to physically going, I'm going to, I'm going to make this um, and, I'm, and I'm going to film it and then I'm going to create a channel and then I'm going, to, I'm going to partner up with all these amazing companies and I'm going to sell my stuff and get royalties. That's, that's an entrepreneur mind, entrepreneur's mindset. But equally, it's a very passionate mindset. It's like, why wouldn't I do that? It's like, that is fun. Yeah. <laughs> that is fun for me. So, so for me, it's like, it's got to be, it's got to be fun. It's got to be completely and utterly smiley face. This is awesome. Holy shit. Oh my God. Like, I cannot wait to put this together and let's start now and go. And, and for me, chefs and all chefs, actually most chefs, we're physical workers. We're not a on the computers all day um, we're physically actually working and for me in this film studio I'm physically constantly creating and working um, and it's joyful yeah mm. yeah that stuff is fun <laughs> it's bloody awesome like building businesses creating strategies and implementing like that shit gets me going <laughs> oh totally it's like 
I don't know. Like I sometimes, and I'm very judgmental of what to say when I go out. Sometimes when I go down to our cafe, Genius Cafe down the road here, it's on the water and it's a co-working space, and I just see these beautiful, you know, amazing people sitting around and they're on their computers all day, and they've got one coconut. They've 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 kept up my my chair and table all day for one coconut. And that's the that's the nomad, right? They're broke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk past them and you glance at the computer and you know WhatsApp's open, Facebook's open, Instagram's open, you know, and it's this this dude, like, no, it's Google is not the answer. Human interaction is the way forward to create this abundant life abundant life. Because if I if I if I Googled shit, I wouldn't know anything. And the reason why I know stuff is because I've had conversations with people and I have experiences and I pride myself on that. I'm not a Googler. I'm, a, I'm very clear on that. You know, I'm one of those people that get out there and have these conversations and it drives you to do the work. It drives you to physically want to work, you know, and it's great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of stuff coming out at the moment because of Google that we're not actually we're accessing less of our brains. We don't need to learn anything now because we can just find the answers whenever we need it, you know? Um, like even just really simple, like do I need to, do I remember what actors are in what movies? No, because I can just Google that whenever I need to know it, you know? Um, you've done a bit of water fasting. Um, I, I'm aware you've done, have you done a few water fasts or just one? Yeah, you did, yeah right, of course. Um what was that kind of journey and process like and how, how did that shift your, your way about business and also your way about life through going through those experiences of water fasting? Oh, just let me be clear. I hate water fasting. I hate thinking about it. <laughs> I hate it. It's a abomination. It's horrible. No. <laughs> it's just as a, from a chef's point of view, from my point of view as a chef and as an eater and as a cooker, it's painful. It's a painful experience. So my first water fast was I decided to cook the whole time, which made my water fast so joyful. (laughs) (laughs) And it was my first time I really understood fasting. It was back in 2011, I think, or 12, I can't remember. And I was with a friend of mine, Tyler Tolman, who likes water fasting as well. And I just remember thinking, I need to cook this whole entire time. And I will cook for everybody three meals a day, but I just cannot just I cannot lie around in the sun and do meditation and wait for the fast to be over. That to me is not a joyful time. It was my first water fast and it went for 10 days, three days on juice and then 10, 10 days on water. And I learned a lot then from myself now. From then I didn't really learn anything about myself, but I found it very easy to water fast. I found it very difficult to juice fast. I find that very hard and I don't even do it. I'm not interested in it. When my second fast came along, um, I did 14 days and my friend was doing a 40-day water fast, so I just tagged on the end of it so we could break together. I think it was 14 or 16 days, I can't remember, and he got up to day 30-something and then he he was just – he had to stop because he was (laughs) – it's hilarious. Over 30 days is, is you, You're basically dying. No, yeah. <laughs> you look like it. He, yeah, he, he, he wasn't. Like <laughs> he, it feels like that. I remember putting some little some honey on his tongue and it was just like, <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so I did that and that was a lot of resting and awkwardness. I didn't really have, I was at in Ubud, I was kind of in the forest and it was just like, ah, oh, you know, this is, can't wait to eat, you know. And then my third one um, started to get really serious. And I was working on fasting retreats. Um, My girlfriend, Rochelle Starr, owns many, 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 many events and retreats here in Indonesia and people come from all over the world to learn off Tyler at these events. And I was really starting to watch the fasting doctors come in and teach and I was really around that and it wasn't until I was really started to connect with Dr. Nicholas Tanchev who is my hero (laughs) in blood work. Um, I really started to understand a deeper understanding about water fasting with when it came to the mind connection to the physical to the to the to the body and then I did another fast and I was with the company of Nick and um 
you know, 30 to 30 day program. And I just remember going into it and Nick said, this is what I suggest you do. You don't move the whole time. You don't do shake and bake in the morning. We don't push lymph out. We don't, we don't shock anything. We just, you don't, you just lie. I just want you to lie there the whole time. So I, I basically, no devices. I had chosen to have no devices at all, no contact with the outside world. And I was around another seven or eight people or six people that all had devices or in the other rooms, you know, talking to the husbands or their wives, constantly on the computer. And I decided I wasn't going to have any. I was going to write letters to my friends and family. And what was really interesting about that fast, it was the first, the first real-time Cynthia um, understood the... the <laughs> The, the, how do I say this, the, the, the outer skin and the inner skin's memory. It was the first time I got it. And I'd, I'd seen it before in fasting retreats and I'd facilitated many people um, coming off a fast in fasting retreats and I've been a co-presenter in many fasting, like literally, like so many. And I'd seen people and heard people talk about these physical outcomes of when you're in the middle of a water fast and I had because I had completely and utterly just laid there and watched a bird build a fucking nest for 30 days. Drove me insane at one point. I, I really did see the, the, the scarring of memory of my body. So, like, day six, I had such big pain down in my, like, um, my bikini line that down right down there. Right? Pain, pain, so much pain. I was crying and... And I was lying on the couch and I remember Alex, who's an amazing body uh, relationships, my coach, like a osteopath come healer. She just put her hand on my heart. She go, and, and I was like, I don't know what's wrong. And, and then she said, like, what happened six years ago? And I'm like, what's that got to do with now, you know? And, she's, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. We, we talk about things like that. And I said, oh, six years ago I had fibroid cysts. And she's like, there it is. That's the, 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 the memory of scars in the body, you know, scars on here and scars you can't see. And I was like, oh, yes, it's the same pain. She said, it's okay. We're just going to blah, blah, blah. And the next day came about and day eight, day nine, day 10, that sort of thing. And it was like day eight or nine, I had this. And this is when I met my gallbladder, by the way. I had this throbbing. <laughs> <like> gallbladder. <laughs> yeah. I had this throbbing pain where my sternum is um, and there was, there's my gallbladder. And I'm just like, what the hell? Why is this, why is this, this whatever this is in my body going, a pain and then going away and then coming all day. I'd just lie there and go, oh, it's gone now. And then it would come back. And it wouldn't cripple me or cry. It would just be like, oh, fuck. And I'd just hold it and I would just be breathing and my shoulders would shrink down and I'd lie back down again. I'm like, what is this? And then came time for my session that day with one of the healers. It was like, you know, this, this is your gallbladder. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, the gallbladder represents anger. Big amounts of anger. What happened eight, ten years ago, whatever it was? And I'm like, oh my god, my husband became a drug addict, and I was so angry because number one, he wasn't having sex. I wasn't having an orgasm. I was, I wasn't wanted. He had chosen drugs. I was so angry and violent. And she said, there it is. And that lasted two years. For two days, I had solid pain in my gallbladder. Wow. And after that, and then it, it just kept going, right? And then there was this stretch of, you know, 11 years, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years. Oh, the joy, the happiness. I had, there was nothing going on. And came to like 17, I think it was the 17th day, which represents 17 years. Which if you're listening out there, this is a really interesting conversation because for me, water fasting, I'd only learnt this because I had actually stopped everything outside of myself. Anything that was happening would be written on paper. So it took the work to articulate it, to feel what I was writing instead of pushing into a computer or getting on a phone or anything like that. So day 17 came along and that night, 
Nicholas came and took my blood pressure and just put his hand on my on my chest and I just started crying. I said, I don't I don't know what's wrong. Like I'm really worried I'm gonna I'm gonna die. Like I just is this this is probably too much for my heart because I do have heart issues. I was born with heart defect. Anyway, blah blah blah. He goes to bed. I don't have a phone. I'm all alone. The other people are in their rooms. It's like one in the morning. I get up in this complete and utter palpitation of my chest where it's just like like I've run a kilometre and I'm just like, oh, my God, I have no one to call. I can't move. My whole body's just moving and I'm going to die and I'm just going to die. And I just fell asleep somehow, which I never would have done in the past. I would have just freaked out. I just fell asleep after, I don't know, maybe an hour or something of just pure tears and panic and not being able to move or call anyone. And that's when I thought, stupid move, not to have your phone. But <laughs> no <to laughs> it was then, time. yeah, <laughs> the next morning I woke up and I was just like, oh, wow, like two, three hours sleep. Oh, my God. Day, day 17 or day 18. Oh, my God. Like, okay. Then I went to the morning session and the facilitator asked me, how was you, everybody, how was the night's sleep? And I said it was fucking horrendous. I have just seen Nicholas just now. He's just taking my blood pressure. Everything's fine. But last night, this is what happened, and I'm just in shock, and I really need to stop this fast because this is not this is not good for me. I've already got a heart defect. This is a lot of pressure on the valve. And in meanwhile, Nicholas is telling me this is not a lot of pressure on the valve. This is actually resting the heart for your surgery to get inflammation off. So I've had that there. Then I had my own conflict and it wasn't until I sat there and we were talking and, I, and he goes, what happened? Because remember, I had the joy of the years, right? 11, 12, I was just like, ah, woohoo, life's amazing. Um, and this day 17, so year 17, I, I just said, like, I don't know, like, what happened 17 years ago? Oh, man, what happened, what happened, what happened? I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no, nothing really. And then they're like, come on, think harder. And I'm like, oh, my God. <gasps> oh, my God. It's when I had my first heart surgery. I was 28 years old and I was like, oh, my God, are you fucking kidding me? That is insane. And they're just looking at me and like, how are you feeling today? I feel like I, I can't, I just can't believe it. I can't believe this anymore. And that's when I was like, I just want to do 40 days. <laughs> I just want to do 40 days because I want to go right back to my appendix. I'm just like, now I'm like really connected <laughs> with the understanding of a deeper healing process on the outer skin and the internal skin when it comes to drinking water only for an extended time. That to me is extraordinary. That's an amazing story. Uh, it's, it just highlights to me how freaking incredible this vehicle, this body that we've been gifted is. If we just got the fuck out of our own way for, for a period of time, 20, 30, 40 days, and just let this body heal, it can do incredible things. And the fact that it was like to the day is just, it's just, there's, there's no words that describe that. Did I, have, I have no words either. I'm still like, now I get it. Now I understand the art of fasting because there's so much literature on it. But if you really look deep into the literature, you'll see do not move. Yeah. Do not move. Yeah. Sure, lie in the sun a little bit, but don't lie too much and don't lie in the midday and just be mindful and no sun gaze. It's just a proper like you're just, you're down, you know, and I get it because you've got to feel, <laughs> mm. you know. Yeah. I, uh, I fasted 30 days last year and uh, we were instructed to not do anything and um, you could tell the differences between the people who who listen to that advice and the people who didn't, the people who really didn't do anything uh, like us, like they went deep, stuff came up, you know, and they let things out and they, they, they healed, you know, whereas the people who distracted themselves on computers or movies and things, they're, they're not getting into that stuff. You know, they're, 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 they're still distracting themselves from, life from the moment from their traumas you know and when we don't do that and we sit 
and we look like wilted lettuce on a couch for six hours at a time. You know, what do you do today? Oh, I sat there for six hours and then I sat there for eight hours, you know. Um, that's when the magic happens. Um, that's when things come up. And Totally agree. Yeah, I just, I love that. <laughs> it was just happening to you like that with the, with the days. Did you end up going longer then to get to your appendix? No, I, got, I went to, to day 22 and then I had a retreat six days later. So, okay. And then I had heart surgery <laughs> a month later after that. So, right. yeah, so I had to, I had to stop and get, get to this retreat because I had 33 people booked in for an for a intermittent fasting and cooking retreat called Praxis. And so, yeah, and then after that, went to Australia and had my heart surgery. What's really interesting, before I had my heart surgery, um, the technician was doing the scan and goes, like, what have you been doing? <laughs> and I'm like, not much, actually. <laughs> He's like, okay. And I'm like, is there any problem? Because, no, the doctor can explain it. So I went and saw my heart specialist who's amazing. And he's like, what have you been doing? And I'm like, you know what? Not much. And he's like, well, all the inflammation's really gone, um, which is so great for surgery. Um, and I just really feel like this is going to really work. We're going to pull your heart apart. We're going to take two parts out and we're going to replace them with two other parts and we can really get around there. And um, I'd love to know what you were doing. And I was like, well, I was, I was fasting actually. And he's like, cool, okay, great. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> glad, I, glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> glad to be of service. And, and now he won't go and suggest that to anyone to do. No, and never. <laughs> he was like, you're the only one that could do something like that out of all my patients. And I'm like, yeah, it worked though, didn't it? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Good so, job. <laughs> um, I want to touch on that quickly. So, what actually was your heart surgery? What did what did you said they replaced two thirds of your heart? Two parts. Sorry, two, two parts. parts. Right, right. Um, I was born with a, a valve defect. My tricuspid valve didn't have three outlet, three um, leaflets. It was only like kind of one and a little bit. And so over time, that had deteriorated um, because it's mechanical, right? And and I had my first surgery where they cut that leaflet open to make three. And then over time that calcified up and to, re- to get the calcification out was, oh, my God, that's, it's such a scientific thing. It's so challenging because to me it's like I'll water fast to get that out for a year. And Dr. Goldhammer, I don't know, have you heard of him? You've heard yes. of Dr. Goldhammer? Yep. It's like, no, 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 you will go have fucking heart surgery because you're going to die because this is not a fasting requirement. But it's calcification goes is different. This is why. And he really gave me a real, like Cynthia. And I was like, okay, got it. He goes, now you just need to you just need to try and find a really asshole of a surgeon, someone that is just so egotistical and someone that's just like wants to win. You need that. And I'm like, oh fuck, how do you get that? And he goes, you just need to find that. I didn't even find it. It came to me. Of course. <laughs> My surgeon is an overweight, diabetic, angry, dickhead, bastard asshole that you've ever met. But he is the one person that will not lose that walks around with a can of Coke in his hand and he oh just looked God. at me. I know, right? He just looked at me and he goes, well, you're an idiot. Thinking that you can get away with this for 17 years, look what you've done. You've actually made more damage by not coming and seeing a doctor for 17 because I didn't. And that was a stupid move because modern medicine is quite amazing. And, you know, prevention medicine is even fucking more amazing if you know what you're doing. And I was just like silly, you know. Anyway, he was, he was a real bastard and he had a track record of flying all over the world and serving humanity with heart surgery. Right. There was this little special part about him and the one country that he would go to, because me goosebumps, was where I was born. <laughs> Out of the, all the developing countries, the one country that he spent most of his time saving children in this particular surgery was in New Guinea. Wow. And I was just like, who are you? No bed manners, no caring human. He's probably the most caring and beautiful human underneath all that. His passion is so, it's so amazing. And I gave him my cookbook that I wrote with Dr. Libby Weaver and he just threw it on the counter, like, don't, never speak to me again. (laughs) But he was amazing and he saved my life and he did some extraordinary things in my chest and I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. So my main aorta 
seven, 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 seven meters has been replaced and my, my um, valve has been completely replaced. So there's two parts in there and fasting has given that whole area, that whole muscle, that whole mechanical side of things to have a break and to not be, you know, trying to help everything process food. Mm. You know? mm. Wow. Um, what, a, what, a, what a trip. Um, how did fasting uh, – now, I know you said you don't talk about what you eat, so I'm not going to ask you what you eat. However, how did fasting change or did it even change what you were putting in your body, especially after that, especially after that longer one? No, it hasn't changed anything. I've always – my diet has been pretty much the same – since I was a child, really. Um, if anything, I don't, I haven't, I'm not really into animal protein at the moment. Could be tomorrow, don't know. Um, I just not something that I've done for many, many years. No reason, I don't know why. Um, I did crave eating a goat actually after, in the middle of that fast. I was like, I'm gonna go kill a goat and eat a goat. And Nick's like, yeah, you do that. And I'll come and eat it with you. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's weird, right? And so for me, it's like, it didn't change anything. What it did actually, transformers when I ate mm. so I'm a very great intermittent faster so and and when I when I thought about what that means my intermittent fasting is water until one or two in the afternoon and having one meal a day that's when Cynthia is at her her peakest of performance internally health-wise and you know in my space and when I mean internally health-wise everything's flowing and growing I can feel it I can feel everything working and when I noticed that change I was like oh my god most chefs do that anyway we don't sit down for breakfast and have a break at lunch and eat and then serve people we just don't do that we fast and I was like we do that anyway like that's just normal chefs chuck that coca-cola or coffee or someone like me water you know like it's a normal thing to do so it has changed when I eat not the types of food I, I eat. My value system around real food is not even thought of. It's just a natural extension of my soul's evolution. I don't even think about – I don't even go to a party and there's a birthday cake and it's got white sugar and all this stuff, whatever, normal, but I don't even eat it. I don't even think about not eating it. I just know I can smell it or if there's like um, – like I can, I can tell, like well, I, had a, I had a dinner party here one night. I invited a couple of new friends that don't really know me and there was about 17 of us in the studio and they bought brownies, gluten-free brownies and ice cream and I swear to God, the whole night all I could smell was this ice cream and this brownie and it wasn't until the next day I explained to my friends, could you not smell that? They're like, no, and I got it out of the freezer because I left it. I said, smell it. Does that smell like McDonald's to you? Does that smell like processed food to you? Does that smell like the wrong fat? And they're like, oh, my God, it does. I said, that's all I could smell in my house. So my value system is naturally, I can smell it. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. It, 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 it kind of shifts like, like you talk about the brownies. Like I imagine, do you just look at that and it's like, well, that's not even edible. Like the I, I go, food. Yeah, no, it's I don't actually. I do the opposite. I look at that and, and I go, there. I can't taste chocolate, so I'm not going to go there. I need cacao to be in. I need to. If you have a bar of chocolate, a normal everyday consumer bar of chocolate, you will taste two things. You will taste sweet and fat is the texture. That's what you taste. I could smell that there was there was no there was a flavoring in there. I could smell it. So for me, it wasn't like, and then don't forget, like we're at a dinner party and they're so grateful to come over and they've brought this amazing gift. And here's me. It's like, this is where I need to get my shit together. It's like, oh, no, thank you. I'm really full. I've had, I'll have some later. I will save you some brownie and ice cream. I'm not going to go into the depths and detail about your shitty ass ice cream and your bullshit brownie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it in the freezer, lock it down, let it go and move on. And for this day, these people have no idea that I looked at that brownie going, that's just not what I'm attracted to. I'm not, I wouldn't, I just don't eat ice cream like that. I just, I'm, nothing would happen to me. Like I just, doesn't come into my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Um, were fermented foods always part of your kind of wheelhouse or was that something that you got into over time? 
Um, I just remember growing up in the beginning and eating a lot of fermented fish and being around fermented rice wine and fruits breaking down and fermenting and, and stuff like that. And I never had anything to do with it. I just had coconut fermenting and I just lived my life. It wasn't until later on where I got right into um, making um, a scoby, you know, and making apple cider vinegar and making kombucha where this is back in early 2000s, a long time ago. And I started to feel into energy and started to understand deeply about energy when it comes to micro, microbes. And I was more interested in I could take my kombucha mother to my mum's house and it would die. Or I could take it to my girlfriend's house and it would be a completely different kombucha. And I, that I started to really understand that you can't, like you go to this amazing bakery and you have this amazing sourdough and the person gives you some sourdough mother and you take it home. It's not going to be the same bread of your food memory of that amazing crunchy sourdough lavish bread. You're going to have something different. So that's when I started getting into it is really starting to get into that part of the things, not the health benefits don't really interest me actually, to be honest. Um, I'm not really interested in what's healthy and what's not. I just know that that's a living biome and, fermentation is exciting because you can kill and you can live and I find that really cool yeah and it can eat up sugar like oh my god like I've got kefir oh it's amazing and it explodes and it turns into alcohol and yeah I love it (laughs) um how do you change the energy of of a mother like are there things that you like I I can see you telling telling it that you love it or or giving a hug or something like that (laughs) no I don't do that that's a hippie thing even though I look like a hippie right (laughs) No, 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 I don't talk to the mother. Um, um, okay, I can give an example. My girlfriend, Lasmi, who works with me, this is her third baby, and she was always making, because we sell kombucha at the cafe, and she was always the one, you know, buying the raw sugar and buying the, the rosella flowers and buying the fresh ginger, and we're putting it, we've got these big pots, and we put it all together and make hundreds and hundreds of litres of kombucha. And she got pregnant, and... The scoby died as she was, you know, as Kimbucha was changing. And I was like, what did you do? And she's like, nothing. And I'm like, something's not right here. And it wasn't until she was heavily pregnant, I was like, oh, my God, it's because you're pregnant. And she's like, what? I'm like, all your attention is here. All your vibration is here. You're not thinking about killing anything. You're not thinking about looking after something more. It's not about more. It's about how you are and everything is here. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so true. So we quickly washed the scoby down and and put it back in its thing. I said, don't go near it for a week. Let's just let me go near it and see what happens. And it grew again. Yeah, interesting. That's just my experience. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me think about, um, about the nature of water and like the structure of water and how water picks up on energy like that you know and um if we neglect our water it'll have a different structure and energy than if we if we give it some presence and actually think about the water as we drink it and as it goes down yeah um i'm aware that you're on a you're on a time crunch and i'm very grateful for your time so far um if people want to find out more about you uh, how can they get in touch with you how can they find you just google me i'll be there just google me you'll find me <laughs> yeah 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 well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's um, no worries. Lots to talk about, isn't there? There's so much more. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we've got hours here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we should have another. We should have a round two because, like, I really believe that um, that mums and dads at home and people at home that are interested in the deeper understanding of how the body operates when it comes to um, nourishment through nature and nourishment through, um, li- you know, liquid in nature, which is water. I think there's a really, there's a really great conversation to, to work through how does one really access a life of um, real food and fasting and incorporate it in an eight-hour workday or an eight-hour family home mama that's, you know, you know, working from home and has raising her children and, and how do we incorporate, you know, the foods that nourish us when we're breaking a fast or the week after the fast because it's not the fasting where the healing starts. The fasting is where the trauma starts. 
and it arises from my experience and from working in fasting retreats. It's the it's after the fast, the three months after the fast is the part where we should be focusing our attention on. And that's where I come in. It's like, how do I then help you with three kids, a husband that's working all day that you've got to pick up, run up two kids, make food for kids that are all picky, that just want white bread and Vegemite and you're trying to do this thing and your husband just wants steak and sausages and chips for dinner and you're over here. Where I come in is to really nourish her in a way where there is no food fight. She feels completely and utterly drawn into her own world and that world matches nature and slowly as she presents herself to herself in a new way, she starts to deliver food to the table and they start to look at it and they gravitate to her. And she starts to then slowly take out the certain things out of the pantry where there's no food fight. It's a respectful process. It's very delightful, actually, to watch and to be a part of. Yeah, fasting can bring up, it can rip a family apart and it can bring a family together. It's quite amazing. Yep, yeah, same, same yeah, couples yeah, and, and everything like that, you know. Yeah. yeah, and friendships as well, right? It's like, why, why are you a keto person and why are you fasting and then becoming keto? It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's why I don't talk about my, my, my eating plans or habits or... It's like it's not a, it's not irrelevant. The fact is that I, I have this connection with nature is and how do I facilitate someone's creativity around the world in that humble way and only that way? You know, I can't stand it when you this is my personal thing. I can't stand it when I go on Instagram and you see these beautiful women and they've got all these followers that look all the same as her, you know, she's got blonde hair, tiny frame, with a green smoothie and it's, just, ah, it's like yeah. That ain't going to suit 45-year-old mum who's got cellulite on her ass and her stomach has been cut open because she's had a C-section. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's not how I roll. It's like I come in from a different space and nourish through, you know, mm. yeah, fasting to eating to eating to fasting and then incorporating intimate fasting. And in I should really do a program on it, hey, online. <laughs> That'd be a good program, I think. Because you're right, the, the the fasting is like I remember you you start refeeding and it's like that's when the work starts, you know, like that that's that that's when you can really start to build and, and create. Yeah, because the body's physically working, breaking it down. So how do we assist it to break down properly to absorb nutrition the way it's supposed to be? There's so many components to it. So many people after a long time and fast don't get their period for three months. Why is that? You know, how do we facilitate a, a regular flow in the body you know it's a very big topic especially um especially around women it's not something a lot of fasting doctors talk about actually because most of them are men mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah we noticed that Kristen was after information about her cycles and whatever and it was just like donuts <laughs> yeah oh yeah sometimes like girls lose their period for a few months like that's normal like, well, I'm sure there's more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, the word, yeah, that's normal. That's not the answer we want as a woman. We want an in-depth understanding of the understanding of the uterus, of everything that's happening in the body. And, yeah, it's a very fascinating. I totally get where she's at. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she ended up getting a, her period back and um, she's in very good state of health, which is a beautiful. Thing. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'd love to have you on for round two sometime in the yeah. future. Yeah, let's do that. We need to talk about one. Uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. 